back into the great Scott show on a Friday, the pro Nola segment joining us from new Orleans. Speaking of new Orleans, we'll talk Arnell carries new Orleans bowl, Louisiana versus Marshall with Gerald Broussard, our next guest, but joining us now is our new Orleans saints and Pelicans correspondent. He talks to us about other stuff as well. Of course, joins us on Fridays, Mr. Gus Kattengill is on the phone line with us now. Good morning, Gus. What is happening, brother? How are you today, man? I'm doing great, man. It's Friday. It's the weekend. Bowl season starts today. The Pelicans are, are coming off of a win last Wednesday night in the wildest 4.6 seconds of a basketball game <laughs> to end a basketball game that I can remember. Uh, and, yeah. you know, the Saints are playing games that still mean something in uh, the playoff hunt. Not that I would bet on them to make it today, but they're still at least playing in those at this point in the season. So I'm not going to complain about that. So yeah, man, I'm, I'm, I'm good. I'm good. What about you? Busy, <laughs> busy, but good at the same time. And, um, yeah, man, just, it, it's kind of one of those where it's, it's almost by the day, not even by the week on how you're supposed to feel as a, New Orleans fan about your football and basketball team here, but there's so much storylines, obviously, with college football and, you know, everything that's going on as well. And, um, yeah, man, it, it, it's an interesting time right now, to say the least, in sports, man. It, 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 I honestly feel like every time I refresh my phone, I'm saying, wow, or, oh, okay. I mean, I mean, you know, the amount of cases of COVID going teams my basketball team at Tulane mm-hmm. men and women shut down you know mm-hmm. just you're seeing that so that's one aspect of it and um yeah it's just it's just there's a lot there's a lot to kind of you know try to keep keep tabs on well let's let's let, let's um let's talk let's start with the Pelicans I I love you know our boy Ty Graffinini he banked it in he banked it in it was an insane ending uh, if folks out there want to be haters, you know, Thunder Pels, who cares? I care because that was all over everyone's timeline Wednesday night, all over the news because it was just a – Devontae Graham's 61-footer is the longest game-winning shot in an NBA game in over a quarter of a century. And it came after Shea Gilgis-Alexander hit a, 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 an absurd 37-footer where he was just trying to get fouled, and it goes in. And before you have time to process it – Graham says, hold my beer, and heaves one up from, from <laughs> 61 feet over over Kendrick Williams, who's much taller than him, over his head. He had to jump up just to get it over him, and this moonshot banks in. And um, I just, just I, again, I, I've seen some crazy innings in basketball, and obviously playoff games, finals games, right, those are going to be more memorable. But just in terms of the Pels, I, mean, I remember AD's shot against OKC in 2015. That was yeah. completely insane. And and I remember this one. I mean, in terms of like which ones rank up there for craziest Indians, that one on Wednesday night, man. That one is at the top because you can't, you know, you, you write that kind of script. It's like no, no, this doesn't happen. I. It's one of those things where you're like, unless you're a Thunder fan, you're like, man, I love basketball. Wild moments like this, they're just too much fun. Yeah, you know, and then you you, you think of it in terms of context. You think of it in terms of. Graham as well. Remember, he hit one earlier with the Jazz in a game that you felt like, yep. man, like this one that they should have won and you wanted them to win. And um, 
they required that to win it, actually. So this is the second game-winning prayer shot, you know, if you want to look at it. I mean, the other one obviously was, you know, a three. But, um, man, I, I, I just think you have to think of it in the context form, like you're saying, you know, outside the area for people that have just already mailed in this season because Zion's not playing or whatever, it's win nine. What does win nine do? I, I got it. But like I was saying on my show on Wednesday, Scott, I I do think they're playing better basketball in the last month I, I, and by the week. You can see it improving. And I, I look at things. It, it's not an easy I, – I know – I think fans and media would love it for it to be, you know, snap of the finger, you all of a sudden a championship contender and stuff of that nature. I, I think it's so important to have to set a foundation as to what you are. And it's why the Saints have been able to navigate a five-game losing streak, and yet there isn't a single Saints fan that I know that feels it's time to fire Sean Payton, move on from Mickey Loomis sell the franchise. They're never going to win again. You don't ever get that feeling, do you? They've lost five straight. In the NFL, it's a lot. They don't, you don't know who the quarterback is next year. They have no receivers. I mean, there's, there's, there's a lot of reasons to not be hopeful, yet no one thinks that the team isn't eventually going to be righted in the direction it needs to go or repaired. With the Pelicans, you have none of that. You've built none of that you know, credibility, and you've built no foundation. So I look at some of the things that you're seeing that maybe can lay that. I don't know if it's more hope, but I do think functional things. I like Willie Green a lot, and I think you can tell when guys want to play for somebody or not. It's very easy to check the heck out when you're not winning, when you're not doing well, when things aren't going your way, and yet you don't hear – BS or excuses. They, they tell you. You know I, how I felt about this, Scott. I always tell you the one thing I never wanted to hear from the new head coach was, for whatever reason, tell me why. Tell me we stink. Tell me we didn't shoot. Tell me we didn't defend. Tell me we didn't pass the ball. Tell me. And they do. You never hear, for whatever reason. You hear accountability. Brandon Ingram, I got to defend better. I, gotta, I can't hold on to a ball. We have to pass. De, Devontae Graham, others earlier in the season told you what what the what was the problem they just had to figure it out and had to work together and you're seeing them in more games than not you're seeing them you know be competitive and win so i I think when you look at the whole context of it all that is a big win i know it's the thunder there were one game above you in the standings but when you look at the 10th seed which is what clearly this organization feels they need to try to do this here for one reason or another. Um, you are six losses away. Can you make six losses up between now and the beginning of April? That's your goal. I mean, that, that's how many losses away you are from, the, from what was the 10th seed. So I, the win matters. You have to win. And, you know, every win builds what you're trying to build, and that is that you want to be a winning team. And when you see them all celebrate yesterday, you see them all together, Scott, that's what I mean when I say context. You don't have guys not rooting for each other, not wanting to play for one another. And and dare I say, as I said Wednesday of the show, this is Brandon Ingram's team. I think the franchise, like fans and media, have been, well, 
keep it afloat till Zion returns. Wait, you don't know when he's coming back. Mm-hmm. And quite honestly, I'm hearing more rumblings about he's not than he is. Yep. So I think that becomes a mindset too, though, Scott, right? I mean, hey, let's wait for Scott to come back from vacation. Let's wait for Scott to come back from, you know, having another kid or something. But what if you're not? Then, I mean, what you have in-house, what you have in that studio, what you have there, that's it. That That's your team. So I think they had it to be a mindset. And I think when Willie Green pulled Brandon Ingram aside a couple games ago and challenged him to be a playmaker, not just a shot maker, I think things changed. And you've seen Brandon Ingram the last eight games really, really play better and be more of a team leader on the court. You see it. Like, I loved watching that yesterday. He starts the interview and it goes right into Devontae Graham. And you saw all of them celebrate and just be comfortable with one another. And I, and like I said, that's not going to win a championship this year, but you can't have a room, a good mentality, a good work environment if you don't start having fundamentals laying down now. So I think games like this and wins like this matter. I really do. Well, and, you know, for those that, that doubt Brandon Ingram or, you know, when you see some story about, oh, you should trade it, where are you going anyway? You know, going into that game Wednesday, when you looked at the, the, the previous seven games and his on-off-the-court ratings, it was crazy, right? The team was plus 6.2 net rating. When he was off the floor, they were minus 22.9. In the 256 minutes he's on the floor, they're 117.8 ORTG. Uh, their offensive rating, 111.6 on defense, off the court, you know, considerably worse. So, and Ali Cassell of the Bird Rides did a good job documenting that. Like, there's there's no doubt that that he makes a huge difference. And, and this team, you know, it's not enough. Do they need more? Yes. Is it going to be nice if or when they ever get Zion back? Of course. Which leads us to the next question, and then we'll, we'll, we'll shift gears and we'll talk some football. Gus Kattengar, Saints and Pelicans correspondent. You asked me Wednesday on your show. You think we see Zion Williamson this year? I said no, I don't. I I I don't think we're going to see him on the court this year. Where are you at? You've got connections. You hear things in the organization. Is Zion going to play this year? And then we get word yesterday, and the New Orleans Pelicans released the statement that Zion uh, saw Dr. Richard Ferkel in Southern California and underwent a biologic injection into the fracture site to try to stimulate some bone healing in his right foot because the foot's just, it's not healing. And um, they said, you know, the report was Williamson will be limited to low-impact partial weight-bearing activities for an extended period, and they're not going to be able to, you know, really give any updates until another four to six weeks. So really, Mike, my question to you is, are we going to see Zion Williamson play this season? Yes or no? Like I said earlier this week on your show, I said no. And now we have the new information we got yesterday. He's clearly trying. They're trying, but trying isn't going to guarantee anything, Gus. So where are you at? Do we see Zion play this season for the Pelicans? People always say, you know, put, put your money where your mouth is and stuff. So if I had to bet, I would say if I had to bet, I know they would like him to because there's a belief that whether it's 10 games, 20, what have you, any amount of time on the court with those guys, A is going to help him, but B is going to be able to paint you a better picture of what you need in the offseason. So I do think that that's key and important. Again, I think a lot of it is where are you 
when it comes to your standings, as we talked about on, on Wednesday, Scott, it was 56 games going into last night. So there's 55 games now remaining. And, you know, you're 9-21. and 21. I mean, that's it's a handful of games before you get the 500 there. So you're going to have to win, uh, I mean, 30 of those 50? I mean, just, yeah, no, just I, try I, to yeah. do that. I mean, it, you're, you're asking at least to win 2025. 20, I mean, those are a lot of games. Don't think it's so, going to happen. I, that's what I'm getting at. So is it more beneficial, and you always hate thinking this way, because I don't think that's a natural way for competitors to think, right, um, in terms of not winning, is it more beneficial to you, picking in the top three, giving your chances better, greater chances to win the lottery and pick the number one overall pick, or second or third, maybe even use as an asset for a veteran or to actually draft a young player, you know, is that where you want to go? I mean, you're you're been telling a fan base we're we're trying to get better. You've been telling a you know a fan base that I and, and I still can't stand the narrative where you know we're trying to get Zion and, and appease him and his people because that that still annoys me. I was watching the the NBA you know countdown show, Scott, and man, they uh. You know, there's Perkins. You know, this organization hasn't done anything and expanded. You know, uh, no kind of energy to try to win. They're not doing everything what's best for Zion. I'm done with that narrative. I, I am the wrong person to bring that narrative to. I, I am tired of we've got to cater or make everything this or that for this individual. I and and I just think that's the wrong way to put it. I think it's one of the reasons why you are where you are with this organization right now. There's distrust on both sides when it comes to him. And so partly is because you've appeased and you let other people make decisions, and it's not just you and the team. And I can go on and on on that. So I'm done with it. That's why I said it. This is B.I.'s team. I think you need to approach it that way. I think you need to try to do whatever you can. And if you don't win, shucks. You're going to pick higher in the lottery, and that's just where it is. I mean, that's just where you are. But – you know, as you said, he's playing great. It's not enough. You need a lot more. And I don't know if that challenge is going to be picked up by some of the other guys. I don't know what they're going to do with the trade deadline or not. That report of them being buyers and putting Jackson Hayes, you know, on the market. There's so many different storylines on there because you got one guy that I've been told. I mean, he feels and knows he's probably going to be fired at the end of the year in David Griffin. So, is he trying to make look, you know, his situation better, which is probably why some of those leaks came out last week, right? Of Zion eating whole pizzas, skipping rehabs, falling asleep during film study. You know, I, I don't, I don't think that's coincidence that all of a sudden that comes out right after that he's not healthy and the national narrative automatically took off to blame the organization, mm-hmm. blame Griffin. Blame Gail Benson. It's not a basketball city. It didn't even take 10 hours. Zion's fat. He doesn't eat well. He doesn't sleep well unless it's in film set. So I unfortunately think that that's where you are. And you're probably going to see more. But realistically, to your question, man, two to four weeks is what I've heard. And what Fletcher even said on our show, I mean, it just kind of seems the timetable. Half a month to a month to see if he can ramp back up. 
Like they're they're sitting him for half a month to a month. So that puts you right now as I look at my watch, the fifteenth. I mean, you know, the the seventeenth is what. I, my, I, that's my birthday, January seventeenth. So we're looking at about a month, and and then to get him into basketball shape another two weeks. So you're probably looking at the end of January, early February, if there are no setbacks, Scott. Now, you know, too many basketball season doesn't start until the All Star break, which is February. So, what if you do get Zion for quote unquote the push to the play in spot? You know, look. The lottery, the high draft picks, I think that's fodder and it's fun. But let's be honest, that's not where you want this team to be um, for a lot of different reasons. And, you know, I think it's a great way to show what B.I. has done this year. If Zion wants to be the superstar he wants all of us to think he is or he wants to be, get healthy, get ready to play, and come the all-star break, you got the home stretch take your team into the playoffs or help your team get into the playoffs. That's what Ja did last year. That's what these other superstars and young kids did. That's what, you know, you saw in Atlanta as well. So, you know, if you want to be that guy, there it is. That'll be your opportunity. But if more report him not being as mature as he needs to be during this rehab process, then – don't come to me with the, you know, we got to do everything that can to make him and his camp happy. Look, ideally, he plays. Obviously, he's an incredible talent, and he had a stretch last year as an all-star that was must-see TV. That's what you're hoping for. To your point, Gus, as an organization, you still have to move forward. You can't wait or you can't teeter on, is this going to work? Let's try to do this. Let, you, you do your best to try to make it work, but you don't put all your eggs in that basket because – you can't afford to. You have to move forward. And, um, you know, Ingram, Ingram, Ingram's the guy right now to build around, and hopefully at some point they get Zion. I don't think we're going to see it this season, though. That is Gus Kattengill, our Saints and Pelicans correspondent. We're going to come back, talk Saints football, saints Bucks Sunday night. Can they, can they do it? Can they actually do it? We're going to dig into that matchup a little bit and talk briefly with Gus about the bowl game happening tomorrow night in his neck of the woods between Louisiana and Marshall. Gerald Broussard joining me later this morning as well to talk deeper about that matchup. It's all coming your way. Don't go anywhere. This is the Great Scott Show on ESPN Lafayette, the best ticket in sports. We're right back right after this. Welcome back into the Great Scott Show. Uh, I'm Scott Prather coming at you on a Friday. Pronola segment. This is ESPN Lafayette, the best ticket in sports. Gus Cattengale with us now on this Friday. And no, we didn't talk about tonight's Pels game against the Bucks. That's happening tonight. We did talk quite a bit about the organization, though, and the state of the organization. And that's kind of what we do with the Saints, right? We talk about the state of the organization and then the game that's coming up. We don't need to talk much about last week's game. They beat a terrible team. It was nice to get a win. It was fun as a Saints fan. And 
you know, it, it kept their their playoff hopes alive, Gus. I, I, I told this to you on your show, and we don't need to spend a ton of time on it. I just I want to reiterate, I don't understand this idea of, oh, I'm a Saints fan. I'm mad they won. I hope they lose to the Bucks. You're messing up your draft position. You're doing this. You're still in the playoff hunt. No, you're not winning the Super Bowl. But if you as a fan can only get joy in winning the Super Bowl and nothing else, then you are a miserable fan. I don't even know that you are a fan. And if you think – you know, trying not to win is going to somehow get you closer to a Super Bowl at some point because you're going to draft a little higher, even though when you look at the Peyton Breeze era, a lot of their best first-rounders to begin with, then I got nothing for you. I'm taking your fan card. I don't get it. No, I don't, I'm not picking the Saints to win Sunday night. I sure as hell hope they do, Gus. I think that it's a meaningful game, that they're still in the playoff on, even though I wouldn't pick them to get there. I hope they do. And that they could potentially ruin someone else's season or mess up their playoff chances. I like meaningful football in December from a team I root for as opposed to, well, let's see a bunch of young guys for the next month, a lot of which you won't make the team next year, and hopefully that you get a better draft pick. And let's start doing mock drafts. Getting into mock drafts in January or February is a lot better than getting into them in October and November. Just ask the Jags and their recently fired head coach and everything else with them. I don't get that kind of fan that claims they're a Saints fan but doesn't want them to win, Gus. That's just me. Now, I've I've heard some of that. Don't agree with it at all. Do you get some of that on your show, The Sports Hangover in New Orleans? Has that been a contention in some ways on your show or not all that much? Yeah, no, I do. I mean, I, I've had callers, you know, like get upset um, that they're doing that because they want to pick, you know, in the top five or ten and have come up with – different scenarios and things of that nature. And I'm like, look, man, what I don't understand more than anything with that is have you not remotely paid attention to what the Saints have done in the draft since Sean Payton's been here? They are known for what? I mean, Trading Jeff up. Ireland famously, uh, exactly. Um, you know, Jeff Ireland famously in his first year, well, with the Saints, uh, when the season ended, you know, he's at the senior bowl and he's doing his interview and, you know, he's talking about how his, how his first draft was last year and how he had to keep Sean and Mickey from trading on every pick. You know, <laughs> and, and they wanted to trade the entire time. And he was like, well, let's listen, breathe here for a second, which was, you know, exactly what they needed. If you remember, um, Scott, we were talking about how, you know, they needed somebody to be sort of like, quote, unquote, their wife, you know, their spouse. I mean, if it you know, wouldn't be for my wife, I would have probably bought a car and can't afford. You know, I'm not allowed to go into Best Buy by myself. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I mean, you know what I'm getting at? 65-inch TV. Seven, yeah, we absolutely need the new iPad. You know, I mean, that's me, you know, but I got to have somebody that goes, well, uh, do you need that one of these kids? Or, well, what about we wait till this? And what about we do that? So, and I think that's what Ireland's been for this organization. But the philosophy that they have had is to be aggressive in the in the draft. They have absolutely moved up. And, look, this year is another example, right? They tried to move up to go get either um, J.C. Horn or one of the other top corners. They were trying to move up reportedly in the top five or top ten. So, yeah, I mean, to think that you want to not win games because you want higher draft picks, I don't even, I don't even know how you think that way, to be honest with you, especially considering that the main reason Sean Payton has been so successful and that we haven't experienced many of these type of seasons 
which, mind you, has been incredibly rare to have the amount of injuries and situations that he's had to go through and not have a quarterback and all this other stuff. I mean, this year was going to be tough, even if your starting quarterback was healthy the entire time. Um, Well, you know, losing Drew Brees and moving on. So, but the fact that they were five and two at some point before literally they just, they couldn't overcome the injuries and and have zero help at a position group at the receiver. I mean, like when you think about that, it's remarkable. And you want them to lose? Like, it doesn't make any sense to me. It's a cold game with the Pelicans. You're, you're trying to build that foundation where they don't know anything but that. They don't know anything but every week, go to work, do your best, next man up, and, and trust and believe in whatever got you there in that system. That same system that got them 13 win seasons, that same system that got them to post playoff games the last several years. Where, where do you think that's going to go? All of a sudden, just because they lose a few games um, and you want them to change that. I, that doesn't make any sense to me. Again, aside from the fact that this team has shown two things. If they want a player, they'll go get them. If it means paying for them, they'll find a way to get the money and create cap space. If it means trafficking for them, they'll find a way and go get them. They did it with Davenport. They did it with Peyton Turner. I mean, they they have traded up to get players, and if it's a quarterback they want, they're going to discuss it, and if it's a receiver they want or lineman, they will go get whoever it is that they need. So I keep telling our listeners, sit back, relax, enjoy life. been saying all season long, it's not a championship-caliber season, but grill your favorite grilled meat. You know, maybe some cracklings, Scott, a cold one, you know, some apple juice, whatever it is that you want. And just enjoy a Sunday and just try to enjoy the game. Um, and, and then next year, when the cap goes up, when they can address needs that they sort of, you know, can see that they really need this year, when all of that is set, then we can kind of get back to, you know, living and dying every game, man. But. I, I didn't think it was going to be that kind of year this year, so, you know, I just – I don't understand. Yeah, let's lose. I don't want to lose. I want to cover a team that wins. <laughs> if you're in the last two weeks of the season and you've been mathematically eliminated and your team wants to take a look at some players, young players, you know, they're not trying to lose, right? They're trying to play their hardest because they want to get a contract. And and you, you kind of are like, well, you know, it doesn't really help if they win one way or another. That's different. That's different than what is currently happening with the Saints. And for those that can't see the difference, I don't know what to tell you. Uh, Saints, Bucks, Gus, let's get your thoughts on it before we let you get out of here this morning. We appreciate the time. Uh, let me when you when you look at betting lines week to week, and you look at NFL betting lines, when you get to double digits, that's that's rare. You might see one on a schedule a week, maybe two, sometimes none. It's just, it's, it's a, my point is, it's a big line in the NFL when someone is a double digit favorite because it doesn't happen. It, it, it's just the, I would say, you know, nine out of 10 games, it's not the case. So 90% of the time, it's just not, that's not how you look at it. Here you have a team, you know, Saints, Bucks, familiar opponents. Saints beat the Bucks earlier this season. Um, you know, the Saints aren't the Jets, but, the Bucks are an 11-point betting favorite at the, uh, you know, if, if you look at the Caesar Sportsbook right now. And I'll be honest, 
I'm not even surprised that it's that wide. I mean, why wouldn't it be? You know, the Bucks, from a defensive standpoint, are going to be as healthy as they've been all year on Sunday, right? Todd Bowles is is is, is great. You've got, you know, Antoine Winfield back. You know, when the Saints played the Bucs earlier this year, they were missing starting corners. Those guys are back. They got, of course, Devin White, Levante David. They've got, you know, Vita Vey and Namikin Sue up front. They're just, they're stacked. They're loaded. You look at the Saints offense and they're they're missing a lot, whether it be due to injury or whether it be because, you know, they just never really addressed the receiver position and the receivers aren't very good. And then they're missing Deontay Harris, who can play really good against Tampa Bay or has in the past, and he's not going to be available on Sunday. So the odds are really stacked against the Saints. I get it. For them to have any shot, Gus, you're going to have to have a defensive performance like you've had in the previous regular season meetings in Tampa Bay whether it be a pick six, but you've won the turnover battle. You've had a lot of uh, negative defensive plays in terms of creating negative yardage for the offense. There's, I don't think the Saints can win this game in the offensive phase of the game. They're going to have to win handily in the other two phases of, phases of defense and special teams if they want a shot. I know, I know, Saints, Bucks, the Saints have played good against them, blah, blah, blah. I am just looking at who's available, this matchup on paper, the strength of each team. Look, I, I'm really anxious to see the Saints defensive front seven against the Bucks O-line. I am. I, I Against Brady, I think it's going to be a great battle. I think in terms of the Saints offense, though, against the Bucks defense, it's going to be tough sledding. You're going to be going uphill a lot. You're going to need advantages. You're going to need short fields. You're going to it doesn't miss PATs and field goals. You're going to need a lot. And whenever you say you're going to need or if this happens and if that happens, usually it doesn't work out for that team. I hope it works out for the Saints Sunday. Uh, I'm 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 excited about the game, but <laughs> Gus, it's going to be a hell of a hard time for them to win it. Where are you at with this matchup Sunday night in Tampa Bay? Well, Scott, I think um, I'm with you. I don't see being when it can go toe-to-toe with, uh, with Tampa. I think you're going to need special teams help in some way, shape, or form. I was saying on our show that you need at least a minimum two TDs from Hill. I think one of the things that you were talking about is the defensive line of the Saints matching with the offensive line of the Bucks. But I'm interested on what Sean can do to try to free up Alvin. Devin White is calling the kryptonite of Alvin Kamara. It seems like every single time Kamara catches the screen, it's a toss, it's whatever. He has the speed and athleticism to be able to get in the backfield and pop him. I mean, he's not just like there to make the play, popping him. So how do they free him up and get him available? Or do they use him? Because even in that game, I was thinking in the one a couple of seasons ago, right, when they blew them out for last year, right, when they blew them out in Tampa. Kamara didn't have a massive game in that game. It was everybody else. So do you use him more as a decoy and, and try to make sure that Devin White's out of your spot, out of your area? You can use him in motion. You can use him, you know, just in the play um, formation as it is. Now the play develops to try to create a space in the middle, kind of go where he vacates or get him going over to the left side and call the play to the right side. There's a lot of different things you can maybe do 
to try to help that because you're going to have to get points from somewhere. That's kind of what I've been talking about this week. Where are you getting the points? If Camaro's held in check, neutralized, whatever, who is getting you the points? Is Taysom Hill going to be able to provide 14, 17, 21 points? Um, I think your specialties are going to be key. Getting returns back, creating short fields, turnovers. It's been a massive um, thing when you look at it. You know, you've had against Tampa Bay in the first way, the first game, three turnovers. You also had 11 penalties. So, you know, can you create some of that confusion, again, that sort of happened in the first meeting and also, again, those turnovers. Turnovers have been the key. I think when the Saints play Tampa in the games they've won, when you go to the game that they lost in the postseason, Saints had a chance again, could have gone up early, Mm -hmm. didn't cash in, settled for field goals, gave Tampa an opportunity to stay in it, and then eventually won the game in the playoff game. So I think in the series, since Tom Brady's been in Tampa, it has been about turnovers, penalties, who plays the cleaner football. Gus Kagnar, Saints and Pelicans correspondent. This is ESPN Lafayette, the best ticket in sports. I'm Scott Prather. It's the great Scott show for those of you listening via the stream. That is brought to you by Champagne's Market and the Oil Center. Champagne's going the extra mile. Uh, I don't think the Saints win. I think they lose by, uh, I'm going to say, nine points. Uh, what is your prediction for this game Sunday night? I'm with you. I, I just think right now they're playing really, really well. Godwin's a thousand yard receiver. Um, Evans is right below that, about another 250 or so to get that thousand. Leonard Fournette's a thousand yards back, essentially at 700 rushing yards, 744, I think. Um, I just, I can't stop thinking of where other points coming from. Who's going to produce? Who's going to come up big for this team? I. I don't know, man. <laughs> I have trouble with it, right? So I do think it's less than 11. I actually think Sean maybe has a – I wouldn't call it like a few tricks up his sleeve, but he probably had a package or two waiting with Taysom at QB because that's another element about this game that's intriguing to me. Tampa's never faced Taysom Hill as a starting quarterback. They've dealt with him in packages. They've seen him – at times, but they've never had to deal with and plan for every single time he takes a snap, he can run. So the Sean Dumar appeals to, again, negate Devin White, force him to pick one or the other. I, I think that's an intriguing aspect of it. So, man, I don't know. Like, it was 27-23 Tampa sound right? Uh, I, I'd go a little higher, but yeah, I mean, Tampa's averaging 27 a game and the Saints defense is good. Mm-hmm. It's just where are the Saints going to produce enough offense against that defense. That's, 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 that's what it is to me. You know, um, I expect a lot of running from the Saints. Problem is Tampa Bay's got, you know, probably the best rush defense in the league. Uh, they have a good kicker that doesn't miss and. I don't know. We'll see. Uh, I I would love it. I think it would be a ton of fun if they did win. Um, I think it would bring sort of this renewed sense of we can do this. We can go on a run here. 
Um, but uh, and there is a familiarity there. Peyton knows the the defense extremely well that he's going up against. So how is he going to tailor this game plan? Um, but they're going to have to have you know their cleanest game of the season. Uh, all these false starts you saw. Taysom, you know, coughing the ball up. Granted, he recovered it, but, you know, the mistakes you made in the Jets game, it was the Jets. You were still able to win by a bunch. You make those same mistakes against Tampa Bay, you'll lose double digits. So, clean football, hopefully that's the way. Final question for you, man. We appreciate it. You're over there in New Orleans tomorrow night. Arnell carries New Orleans Bowl, Louisiana, and Marshall. Uh, Cajuns, uh, I think a five-and-a-half-point favorite. They're going to be missing a few players. We, we're going to talk about it in the next segment with Gerald Broussard, but uh, overall, they'll have a lot of their guys. There's and um, I mean, heck, they've got the second longest win streak in, in in the FBS. They're looking for their 13th straight win. What is your prediction for the Arnell Carriers New Orleans Bowl tomorrow night at the Caesar Superdome? I think to predict that they wouldn't win uh, would be rough to to try to come up with, right? Because I, while you don't have Napier, while you may not have some players. I think what that team has shown the season is that they're, you know, there's a mindset. Kind of what we were talking about earlier with Pelicans and Saints, Scott, about that you, you want to finish the job. And you can become legendary and you can become remembered by what you accomplished this year. And winning the conference championship, which is a goal they set, winning all of the games but one in the regular season, but to be able to finish it completely, including the bowl win, I think matters, Matt. To be able to put that extra digit next to that record at the end of this year, I think is is important, right? I mean, because that becomes the standard. I mean, all other teams after that have to match a team that lost once. First game of the year. That's it. Um, that's pretty remarkable when you think about it. No matter who was the head coach, no matter who was on that team, but for everybody on that team, I think that's important. I think that's a big thing. So I think they're going to come out with energy, dude. And I think more importantly, too, they want to show that they ain't going to be in slippage. You know, it's just going to be business as usual, and you can expect this kind of football from the Cajuns moving forward. So I think it's a chance to make a statement. I think it's a chance to put that exclamation mark on insanely good season, the historic season, and I, I know I'll be tuning in. I mean, I'm absolutely rooting for him. That is Gus Kangio, our Saints and Pelicans correspondent. He has been our guest on this Friday. Check him out in uh, on Twitter at GCAT underscore 17, at G-K-A-T-T underscore 17. Check him out when you're in New Orleans, ESPN 100.3. That's the radio dial, the sports hangover weekdays, noon to 3. Merry Christmas, my friend. If uh, I don't, t- I'm sure I'll talk to you before, but maybe not on this show. But Merry Christmas uh, to you, the wife, the kid. Have a blast. Enjoy it. I know there's a lot of work to be done before then, man. But uh, always appreciate the time, and um, hopefully you get some cracklings in the stocking this year. Always a pleasure, man. Being on the show and still being your friend, dude, off all those many years, that's the gift that keeps on giving, man. Always appreciate the time. That's nice of you, brother. I feel the same way. All the best, dude. I'll talk to you soon. For sure. All right. Don't go anywhere. 
Gerald Broussard, the G-Man. He will be in the booth tomorrow night with Jay Walker calling Louisiana versus Marshall. What about the matchup? G's done the film study. He knows the rosters. What are the what are G's keys to the game? We're going to find out next right here on the Great Scott Show. It's ESPN Lafayette, the best ticket in sports. This is your pocket. This is your pocket. This is your pocket. This is your pocket.